Hello. Hey. All right. I have a question for you. All right. What's this question? I'm starting out early with the questions. Um, <laughs> this one is just, have you, have you ever had a migraine? No, I haven't. I've had like headaches, but not very often. Like I used to have headaches when I was a kid. That's how I found out like I couldn't see. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh, uh, I just thought you that. were supposed to have to squint at things that were far away. <laughs> you until were the worst. Until it started hurting and then... And I was like, oh, yeah, you can't see, dude. This is what you're supposed to do. Okay. So, yeah. But I haven't had migraines. No. So, you know, in true Christine fashion, I'm actually not sure if I get migraines. I'm, I'm currently Googling what is a migraine. <laughs> okay. I think I did have one. I, I call it a migraine whenever I'm, I start getting sensitive to light or I'm just like, I can't look at anything. I just want to put on my sleepy mask. When you say you think you've had one, do you mean once or like, do you have? Oh, like several times. Okay. I think I get them, but I had one yesterday. Um, and (laughs) so we were doing the crossword and Mm -hmm. we like had hooked up Kyle's computer to the TV. And, um, it was a really fun theme. So I like, didn't want to stop doing it. And so I was like, Kyle, I'm going to need you to not make fun of me for this. And I went and got my poor, sad purse which hasn't seen the light of day in months and i got out my sunglasses oh yeah yeah and i I have them right here actually so you can see at least this is what i got to look like at night inside (laughs) the crossword they're for the listeners they're these big glamorous red sunglasses yeah yeah um a lady in the 70s going to the beach you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i know i told kyle i'm like i feel like I'm like a rich white woman. I just need like a big floppy hat. Um, and he, and like it affected him too. Cause like we would be doing this crossword and he would look over at me and just start laughing. He's like, I'm sorry. It just looks like you're on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's but good. Yeah, that was, that was my evening is just, just determination to finish that crossword. And we did. And it was very fun. That's intense. No, I guess a good theme. the only equivalent I have to that is having been hung over and wearing sunglasses inside <laughs> you know it's like I, i've never reached that level the lights beaming in through windows and i'm just like mm. no, i don't want it <laughs> yeah so that that's what happened to me yesterday but i'm good now i i went to bed early and i'm i'm refreshed and ready to learn ready to learn good that's yeah. how that's how you should be for our show <laughs> yeah i got my three ring binder um my pencil protector. grips Yes, I don't have pockets, but I have a pocket protector, just Good. in case. You got that, your slide rule, you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to measure all this communism. Yeah, you got to measure it and, I don't know, do something else with it. I don't really know what you use slide rules for, but I think they're I, like the old calculator or something. So what do you want to learn about today? I want to learn about Russia. About Russia. Okay, Russia's yeah, a country. Well- it's, very, it's the largest by... Geographical land area, it's mm-hmm. ruled by President Vladimir Putin. I forgot that he was a president. That's not what you were actually asking, was it? No, I was asking what the fuck happened over there. What's, what's their deal with communism? What's their, ah, yeah, what's their deal with communism? Um, like, okay, so I do have some some further questioning of your question. Yeah. Uh, when you say what's their deal with communism, like, why you know like what's where you coming from with this question or kind of what are you trying to address with it you know um okay so my question i guess 
is self-serving in that mm-hmm. whenever people like myself will say things like, yeah, I'm, I think communism sounds cool. You know, a common uh, rebuttal is, well, Russia tried it and it didn't work. And right. I want to know, did they try it and did it not work? Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I definitely know where you're coming from with that. Nowadays, yeah, people will say, oh, that's what the Soviet Union did. That was bad. Or they'll say, you know, what about Venezuela? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or Cuba. Cuba, North Korea, China, you know, any place that is in some way nominally socialist or communist. Yeah, you'll get that criticism of, that was bad. Don't do it. <laughs> exactly. Do and I want to know, why, why was it bad? And, yeah. And so, what, like, what did Russia do? Was that bad? Was that communism? Exactly. You know, what's what's the deal? Okay. Yeah. yeah I got gotcha. you. All right. So what did Russia do? And this is going to be a very brief overview because, like, I think we mentioned, this can get super in-depth, like you said. Yeah, like whole college courses are taught on this. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're not going to have you memorize a bunch of names or anything like that. That's too much. I mean, we can't do no. that. We don't have the time. Uh, we're just going to hop right in and give you a brief overview of kind of what the Russian Revolution was, what, you know, what all happened there, what the Russians did after that, what the Soviet Union was like uh, as a result. Cool. And I'm thinking, like, you know, we can definitely, in the future, take some of these topics and do whole episodes on them if we want to. But yeah. I think it'd be really good, I mean, both for listeners and for me, just to have a general timeline of, like, okay, what what happened? <laughs> what happened, yeah, and... Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so a couple of weird points to clear up beforehand because we're going to, when we get to that point, I don't want you to be too confused, okay? Okay. Uh, Prepare. So number one, there is a calendar difference. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the reason it comes into play is because the Russians will call part of this thing, or everyone, historians will call part of this thing, you know, the February Revolution and the October Revolution. Okay, okay? those the same? No, no, they're different things. Okay. In, in the revolution, but like they're misnamed based on the actual dates of our current calendar oh. because they were still using before the Soviets took over, they were still using the old Julian calendar. Mm, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And then once, you know, they took over, they were like, this old bullshit calendar, it's gone. We're going to use the Gregorian calendar, which is what everybody uses now. There's okay. 18 days difference. So it fucks with the dates. <laughs> That's so. really annoying. That's an inconvenient move over. Yeah. So, um, Historians use the old dates, basically, uh, until the revolution happens, and then you start using the new dates. Because oh, that's weird. Calendar changes. Okay. That's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. But usually they'll say old style or whatever to refer to. The <laughs> old old style. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> Classic dates. Yeah. Another weird point is the city of St. Petersburg is what it's called today. And that's what it was called in Tsarist times before World War One. Okay. World War One happens and they're fighting the Germans and they're like, St. Petersburg sounds too German. We're going to call it Petrograd. Oh, okay. I've heard of that. And I've always wondered, like, what's, what's that? Yeah. Okay. Petrograd. And then when the Soviets take over, they're like, a city named after Tsar Peter? No, that's too Tsarist. So they rename it Leningrad. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's All great. Right? And so it's that during the Soviet era. And then when the Soviets fall... 
Russia's back in charge, and they're like, a city named after Lenin, two communists. We're going to rename it St. Petersburg. So That's it's hilarious. A full cycle. These poor um, people having to update their mailing addresses. <laughs> I lived in St. Petersburg, and then Petrograd. <laughs> and, yeah. um, okay, so the I don't know what the convention is. I'm just going to call it whatever it was at the time. So Okay, cool. Uh, and we'll... Just, they're all the same. Yep, those three equal each other. All right, cool. All right, weird points out of the way. Let's hop right in uh, with the prelude to the revolution. It kind of sets some stuff up, and it actually happens years before this, but it kind of gives you the big picture of what was going wrong with society then. Okay. Uh, and it happens in 1905. There's an attempted Russian revolution in 1905. All right. Lenin calls it the great dress rehearsal for a revolution. We're not going to get too much into detail, but Russia had a lot of fucking problems. Okay. They were ruled by the czar, an yeah. absolute monarchy, mm-hmm. and their society was like kind of old and corrupt in terms of who was in power. Peasants were starving while, you know, the, the rich were doing fine. They had just uh, lost a big war to Japan called the Russo-Japanese War. Oh. The economy was in shambles. Uh, the proletarians were just kind of getting, you know getting started growing and, and and agitating for more stuff and student radicals being obnoxious shouting <laughs> slogans all that was happening they had like kind of a mini revolution and the czar was forced to uh, create something called the duma the du- how do you spell duma uh, duma is d-u-m-a okay i'm not actually taking notes as more for my my help <laughs> my visuals for your help, for nerdier listeners or, you know, kinesthetic listeners who like to take notes as we go along. Yeah. When I say nerdy, by the way, that's not pejorative at all. No, right? that's a good thing. I'm yeah, a big we're, old nerd. We're nerds. Um, uh, I have a question. Yeah. Ask Sorry, what year was this? 1905? 1905. Yeah. Okay, so I just Googled. So I watched Fiddler on the Roof recently, and um, it takes place in Russia, and um, you're talking about student radicals, and one of the characters is like a student radical, like... You would like him. He was cool. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, you should watch it. It's on It's on Amazon Prime. It's like included with it. Okay. Um, I think I will. Yeah. I feel very uncultured for saying that, admitting to listeners that I've never watched this. I hadn't until well, like two weeks ago. I'm just trying to watch more musicals because I really like them. Yeah. Um, but I've only ever watched like two. So I'm, I'm catching up. Um, I like to say that I should have been a theater kid, but I was a band kid. So. Yeah. You, you know, you fit the, you fit the bill. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you mean <laughs> you mean queer? <laughs> oh yeah, fair enough. Just, yeah, but <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's I. I think I I'm a little more set up for this having watched that because they were like a super poor village and like it's about like the pogrom. I don't know how to say it. Pogrom, pogrom, because um, like Jews were run out. But yeah, it's a good setup. So during Fiddler in the Roof times, yes, the Tsar has to create the Duma, which basically they forced him to create kind of a, a, a Congress, okay, like a legislative body, right? It's technically it's like the lower house of it. It's actually kind of elected, and people get to you know elect representatives to go advise the, the Tsar. It's only like advising who can vote male citizens over twenty five years of age. Nice. <laughs> excluded women soldiers and officers oh cool wait why would they do that why would they exclude soldiers and officers yeah that seems weird i don't know i don't think that they're supposed to vote because they're just supposed to serve maybe the government all the time you know they're, mm, supposed they're to just to have loyal. like opinions okay yeah uh, maybe well, that's, that that's sounds like up. a good reason good reason quote unquote. <laughs> yeah not a good reason 
Cool. Mm-hmm. So so some people could vote, you know, classic. Right. Yeah. And it so it gets worse from there. It starts out that way, which is pretty good by their standards, but it gets less democratic as time goes on. Uh, the czar and his friends kind of pull some bullshit and uh, keep trying to weaken it. So later on, like between then and 1917, when the actual revolution breaks out, it gets to where it's like the czar can basically nominate half of the positions for himself. <laughs> What's and then they elect, in? you know, different groups of society, like okay. the church, the whatever, they get to elect, pe- the nobility, they get to elect people oh, to the rest okay. of the seats. So it just becomes another aristocracy <sighs> Yeah, at that well, point. It's, and that's the most democratic thing they had. They had something similar to uh, like an upper house or kind of like our Senate, but wasn't elected mm-hmm. at all, um, called the state council. And that was just like powerful lords of the realm getting okay. to, you know, advise the czar. Okay. So you had like super anti-democratic and then like pretty not democratic yeah <laughs> so sorry maybe i missed this yeah. um so why did they make him start the duma is it because people were complaining uh yeah oh like there was okay. there was basically a revolt in the streets you had okay people, got it uh you had strikes you had uh workers out in the street you had civil unrest and the democratic reformers people who wanted this sort of a thing to happen went to the czar and said the only way you're gonna you know, keep power, keep the country together, uh, is to give in a little bit and do this. Okay. So this was seen as a big concession. Socialists at the time, a lot of them were like, this is still bullshit. <laughs> but like bourgeois liberals and stuff. Were yeah, oh, yeah. Like, they're like, wow, we did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That was in 1905. Hey, I have, a, yeah. I have an even stupider question. Go for it. This is the czar guy from Anastasia, right? The czar guy from Anastasia, what was his name? Nicholas. Nicholas II. Yeah, czar Nicholas yeah, II. With the big him. mustache. He's the the guy that looks like King George V because he was his he cousin. He does. Yeah. He looks exactly. Oh, they were cousins. They were cousins. Him and Wilhelm II, the Kaiser of Germany. They were all cousins. That's crazy. Man, family reunions would be crazy. Just like just a little mini UN. <laughs> There's a great uh, correspondence between them in the opening of the uh, First World War. Mm-hmm. And they write letters to each other, Wil- Kaiser Wilhelm and Tsar Nicholas II. Weird. <laughs> but they basically they're write buds. letters to us. It's like, dear cousin, you know? like Yeah. That's, they're that's like, so weird. Yeah. That's Good the guy, verse. though, from Anastasia. Okay. <laughs> and that's the prelude to this uh, the reason Lenin calls it the dress rehearsal for it is because things kind of pan out so similarly in the beginning mm-hmm. with the Russian Revolution of 1917. That's where we'll jump to next. Okay. Life was yet again, or continued to be shitty for Russia. Uh, okay. And in between there, they got themselves into World War One. Yeah. What did Russia do during World War One? <laughs> well, they were fighting with uh, you know on the side of the Allies. Okay. Uh, which is the side that the United States is eventually on. Yeah. 1914, war breaks out. Yeah. Archduke Franz Ferdinand gets killed. Uh, Europe descends into chaos, descends into warfare. Germany, Austria, Hungary, Ottoman Empire versus everyone else. From what I understand about World War One, you can tell me this is not true. It sounded like everyone had a bunch of treaties with everybody else, and that's why everyone had to get involved. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, typically, you know, when a fight breaks out, you have somebody, people saying, oh, you know, lucky you're holding me back or whatever. In this case, everyone (laughs) dragged everyone else in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, It got messy. 
It was a big brawl. Yeah. And it was like minor countries that did this initially. But yeah, like you said, everybody had alliances. So you mm-hmm. end up with a continent and then eventually worldwide uh, conflict. Russia was in it from the beginning on the side of uh, England, France, the Allies. Eventually, America gets in in 1917, too, on the side we of the We love Allies. to show up late to a party. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. then claim victory. We're, we're really good at that. Um, <laughs> we really are. So Russia's in it, and they suck. They are, like, really bad. Okay. They lose nonstop. They just keep losing. Like, it's Shit. impressive. They are, you know, they were terrible. You just kept getting beat. People get, you know, millions of Russians are dying on the on the front. Uh, you've got food shortages. I mean, that can happen in a war, you know. Uh, meanwhile, of course, okay, people are starving and and they don't they're they're wearing rags on their feet. The soldiers are. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the the czar and and the aristocracy are starving, or they have no. rags on their feet? They're probably doing fine. Yeah, people still see the the opulent parties at the Winter Palace and all that, you know? Yeah. They have uh, more and more crackdowns as people start complaining about the about the way the war is going. The government says, you know, fuck you, stop complaining, locking people up in jail, all this, you know? Oof. Don't demonstrate. What are you doing? This is Russia. Be patriotic. That's you know, not a good look. Is, the czar is here sent by God to, you know, look after your interests. And yeah, was Russia you. like a... Like a religious monarchy? It wasn't in the sense of saying the czar is a god, uh, but they had a religious outlook on it. Okay. That the old style, absolute monarchy style of the king is God's representative. Yeah. And he is, you know, playing his God-ordained role to okay, like, gotcha. his people. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there was a big loss of confidence in general, basically because of how ba- badly the war was being run. Initially... People oftentimes said, oh, no, you know, if only the czar knew how bad his advisors were, he would help us because they kind of were they kind of bought in to this idea of the czar being a good guy looking out for them. They Mm -hmm. just thought, oh, he has really bad people running things (laughs) for him. But as the war dragged on, it was clearer and clearer that, no, you know, the dude doesn't know what he is doing. He's bad at it. At some point, the war was going so badly that he went out to personally lead the troops or whatever, um, which all it meant was he would go to field hospitals and go out there and and visit people and stuff and scrutinize the general's plans. But it really, like, put more of the blame on his shoulders for how badly things were going. People were like, damn, like, Nicholas, come on, this is... This is bad, yo, and you're out yeah. there doing it. Does that make sense gener- so far? Yeah, yeah. Shit was bad, and then, you know, they had a mini, they had a mini tryout, um, and then shit got worse with the war, and that's where we are. Yeah. A uh, couple other things that some people cared about. This is mainly aristocrats, but have you ever heard of Rasputin? Yes. He's the spooky guy. He did lots of weird sex things. He lived forever, couldn't die. Yeah, a lot <laughs> of things beard. were kind of embellished with Rasputin. Oh, yeah, hey, yeah. But, but, yeah, mystic. He had weird faith-healing <laughs> techniques to help the hemophiliac uh, son of, mm-hmm. of the czar. I read that they were just feeding him aspirin, and he's like, hey, don't do that. Because <laughs> it, like, thins his blood or whatever. And well, he's like, yeah, hey, yes. you shouldn't <laughs> give him that. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's a good recommendation not to do that then. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he knew a little bit. <laughs> I didn't know that though. Uh, 
the czar also so people were suspicious about about him and mm-hmm. you know, having a corrupting influence on on the czar's family the czar's wife alexandra was german by birth okay. so conspiracy theories flew around that he oh. was you know that's why they were intentionally losing the war mm. was because you know family connections but all this served to kind of delegitimize the czar not only in the eyes of the workers and the peasants who were literally suffering you know and saying we don't want to die yeah. But in the eyes of the liberals and the and the bourgeoisie who were like, you're incompetently running the state and you're disgraceful sort of thing. You know, they're yeah, not materially yeah. suffering necessarily, but they think it's bad. Yeah. So even they were kind of against him by that point. Uh, and then you have uh, in March, March 7th, or I guess, you know, February the 22nd in the old calendar. That's why it's called. Okay. This is the February Revolution we're getting into. The largest industrial plant in Petrograd went on strike. The workers, there, you know, they went on strike. They were like, okay. fuck this. We're out here working. We're out here getting uh, a slice of bread for our families for a day. You know, that sort of thing. You know, we're, we're out here starving and, and these fat cats are raking it in. We're not going to do it. So they go out on strike. And the next day, you know, they were they went on a strike. They didn't know how long that was going to last, but... The next day was International Women's Day, which was already by then mm. a thing. Uh, what March eighth, our calendar. Uh, thousands of women go out on strike in uh, in Petrograd, out there demonstrating, uh, protesting also, and this turns into a protest and a demand for bread uh, to feed uh, to feed their families to feed. Cool. People. I wish yeah. we did that for Women's Day now instead of just fucking McDonald's turning their d- M upside down or whatever. <laughs> Oh, did, did they you hear that? about that? Yeah, oh. they're like, we did it for women. <laughs> yeah, that's sad. Man, yeah. A far cry from the activism of the Russian Revolution. You have thousands of women's going, women going out on uh, on strike, to, uh, and they, they, they stand with the striking workers. Mm-hmm. It turns, this just balloons into a massive general strike. They shut cool. the city down. Uh, Petrograd is basically unable to operate. Workers, students, uh, everybody just goes out there and it turns from demanding bread. Uh, you start seeing signs saying down with the war, down with the czar. Ooh, okay. Yeah, uh, it just, you know, these feelings, like the the reason we had this set up before was these feelings were already there. Yeah, it's been years. They were bubbling, they were ready, they knew yeah. something was wrong and now this is kind of catalyzing it. Yeah. Uh, the czar called in troops to quell the rebellion. The troops were ordered to put it down, to no. fire on people. No. Some of them did. Most of them did not. Most of them mutinied. Uh, instead, they shot their officers and uh, joined, with the, uh, joined with the protesters or just left. So the uprising went way, you know, got way out of control. I mean, you know, now you have the military joining on their side, kind of. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, the czar, basically, his advisors went to him and said, we're fucked, dude. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) we're done. Came over. The only way to save the country, to save the war effort, to keep everything from falling completely apart uh, is if you abdicate. Damn. And at this point, you know, the czar was a very arrogant dude. Mm -hmm. But at this point, I think it was clear to him. That this was, I mean, this is the fucking capital getting shut down, you know. Yeah. These, these yeah. guys are not far away. They're right next to where he is. <laughs> He's like, oh, man. Uh, so he he abdicated. He nominated his, his brother to, you know, take the throne. Okay. And his brother said, uh, 
Nah, dude, I'll do it if the people want me to. Yeah, that's a good call. (laughs) (laughs) And so the Romanovs were done. 300-year dynasty ended. The the Tsar and his family put under house arrest. Okay. That was called the February Revolution. Okay. At that time, when the Tsar stepped down, the Duma was still around, you know? And a section of them declared themselves to be the provisional government. Ooh, okay. So they were That's probably going to go great. Right, yeah. This is <laughs> since we know there's another revolution coming. Um, yeah, these guys are basically the temporary state until they can elect a new assembly and make a new constitution and have like an official Russian government. You know, okay. But they're like the temporary government. All right, that's what happens in the February Revolution. Got it. Czar falls. The provisional government takes power. Cool. There is also at that time uh, the a group called the Petrograd Soviet. Okay, so they're in Petrograd, St. Petersburg, and they were, the word Soviet just means council. Oh, okay. And they were uh, a group of of workers, soldiers, peasants, the the people living in the capital, representing themselves, basically, governing, trying to govern themselves. Okay, cool. Making decisions for themselves. They had a lot of power within the city of Petrograd. They kind of ran things there, the the Petrograd Soviet did. And this is a situation called dual power. Okay. You may have heard this in leftist circles before, the idea of dual power. No. <laughs> um, so dual power is is this is referring to this particular stage, but sometimes people like extrapolate and say, what if we had dual power in a separate? So like having a government, but also having worker-led stuff? Yes. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. I got it. Uh, yeah. You have, a, you have a government trying to do good worker type things politically. But you also have uh, worker direct workers rule in the form of you know Soviets or workers councils. Okay, that's what they had for a while. The provisional government was more bourgeois. They were more cautious and they were more constitutional, rule of law based people. You know, okay, reformers. And the Soviets were more radical, more democratic, more proletarian. The problem was both of these groups uh, initially stayed in World War One. Okay. So if you recall, if you recall, like a lot of the protests were about, hey, war about World the War One fucking sucks. Let's yeah. Not be in it. Well, they stayed in it. Well, dang. And so it leaves room for some cool kids to come in and say, "Fuck all that. Let's get out." Yeah. You got Lenin coming in. Vladimir Lenin. Heard of this guy? I have. All right. I get yeah. all the Russian dudes mixed up. By the way. <laughs> so Vladimir Lenin is. He's bald. the bald one. Yeah. Yeah. I, With I the mean, goatee. I think, I think he's the only prominent, you know, bald one. He's got the goatee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had been in exile, been exiled okay. by the czar. The Germans, thinking, hey, let's fuck up the Russians, smuggled him into Russia. Oh, I love that. That's juicy. Yeah. And, you know, this would come back to bite them way later. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> or to bite their successor state anyway. Yeah. Um, but he gets smuggled into Russia and he comes in there and says, you know, Fuck the provisional government, man. These guys are lame. They're staying in the war. They're bourgeois. They don't care about you. They're bad. Never work with them. He says, all power to the Soviets, all power to that, to Mm -hmm. workers' councils deciding for themselves. And he has a catchy slogan. All right. He says, peace, land, and bread. Hey, those sound like good things. I'm into it. That's what we're about. Uh, Your your children are dying in the war. Peace. Uh, You're a peasant and uh, the... Lords are ruling it over you, land. Uh, you're starving in the streets, bread. That's what we want. That's what we're about. That sounds great. The cool thing from their perspective was Lenin and his party, the Bolshevik party. 
Okay. It's kind of like a faction in a party, but whatever. They were kind of the only game in town that had all along been like, fuck the provisional government. Okay. So wait, where did the Bolsheviks come from, I guess? They were part of the Russian like social democratic party. So I guess what I'm asking is how can you have parties when there was this provisional government? They weren't like in that government, right? They were just like hanging out in the streets, doing their own thing. Yeah. They were. They uh, they were illegal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party was the big party. They had like factions and the Bolshevik was one of these factions. Okay. When you have the, the provisional government, some of them t- tried to take part in it and some of them did not. Like the Bolshevik said, fuck that. But other like socialist parties and stuff did take part in those elections. Okay. Um, but yeah, like. They were kind of the only ones who all along were like, no, this is bullshit. Let's fight for ourselves. Yeah. Instead of joining these lame, these lame government guys. Uh, but anyway, the big picture is the provisional government keeps trying to fight World War One. The Bolsheviks say, you guys are losers. And the war kept, of course, going badly. Yeah. People kept dying. A guy named Kerensky takes power for the provisional government. He becomes okay. prime minister. He was a soldier and he was very moderate. He, uh, you know, was nominally a socialist, but like he wanted to, to chart a middle ground course. uh, Yeah. Kind of slowly reform things. He also kept Russia in the war. Whoops. Eventually after some more antics, uh, one of the generals of the, of the provisional government marched on Petrograd, like took some troops to go take Petrograd back from the, Oof. From the Reds. And Kerensky got scared at this point. So the, the prime minister guy, he got yeah. scared at this point and begged the Bolsheviks to help defend the city. Oh, uh, damn. He, he released some of them from jail. Uh, you know, some of them had been jailed at that. Petrotsky, he had been put in jail. He released him to help defend the city uh, against this rogue general of his. And all this did was it made the Bolsheviks look cool as fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. everybody was like, damn, these guys like, whoa, they, you know, they're where it's at. Railroad workers started striking and joining with the, the Soviets uh, and the Bolsheviks, previously just a little minority party within the larger party, actually at this point gained control, uh, like a majority of the Petrograd Soviet. So like now they okay. were the ones in charge of that whole, that half of, of dual power. Oh, so the Bolsheviks are part of the Soviets. Yeah, yeah. They become part okay. of Yeah. They were a fringe of the fringe of it. the Soviet. But then by this point, they had proven themselves in the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And gotten such legitimacy that people were like, no, these guys, these are the real guys. These, these are guys the, are, they know what's up. Yeah, they're not posing. Okay, cool. So that's what I was asking about. Like, how can they be like, what? They're a party for what? Yeah, but they were part of the Soviets. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. They're part of the Soviets. Yeah. So they're never part of the like, the provisional government the thing. Yeah. They're kind of a rogue group. Okay. Lenin at this point says, all right, we got to, we got to move. And this mm-hmm. is where you get to the October revolution. Okay. Okay. So we had the February revolution. Czar mm-hmm. deposed provisional government takes power. And in between you have the dual power system mm-hmm. where the provisional government's still kind of fucking around. The Soviets are directly running things and gradually gaining more power. Within that, the Bolsheviks are gaining more power through showing people that they're fighting for them. And then you have the October Revolution. All right. What happens then? October 25th of the old calendar. That's why it's called the October Revolution. (laughs) November 7th, actually. 
<laughs> Close enough. The Bolsheviks strike. Okay. It's kind of a, starts out kind of as a coup, you know, a small group taking power and morphs into a more popular movement as well. Uh, the Bolshevik Red Guards, uh, these are like militia. Okay. Uh, they stormed key points of Petrograd and captured them, you know, bridges, uh, points, ports of entry, that sort of thing. And they stormed the Winter Palace where the provisional Ooh. government was. Yeah. Kerensky <laughs> uh, flees, gets the fuck oh. out. He actually does so really quite sneaky slash cowardly in a diplomatic car with American flags on the front. Oh, what a butt. Uh, yeah, they sneak, <laughs> they sneak him off to, to one of the embassies or something like That's that. That's hilarious. To get him out. Lenin, you know, they take the, the, the Bolsheviks take the palace. Lenin announces that the provisional government is out. All and, right. Uh, the, the country becomes, Russia becomes the Russian Soviet Republic. All right. Uh, immediately, the Bolsheviks go to get out of World War One. Okay. They signed a treaty with the Germans called the Brest-Litovsk Treaty, which is basically surrendering. Like it's term, <laughs> you know, it's it's got terms to it. Like, hey, we agree to give you this huge amount of land, uh, and we're out to see it. We're not fighting anymore. Oh shit! Okay. No, like they lost a ton of land. Did they? Um, in that, yeah. And and initially, when I think it's Trotsky, maybe was the one negotiating it. Trotsky is not bald. He's kind of got He's... crazy black hair. He's got like a pointy mustache and a pointy like uh, goatee part yeah he's got little yes. round glasses yes little glasses guy okay, so yeah. what i know about trotsky is i watched a movie where some teenager thought he was trotsky and it was like <laughs> in modern times it was really fun that's all i know about him it was wow. really funny that's wild i gotta watch yeah, that i think it was just called trotsky it was good it was weird um he was the one, I think, negotiating this, and he was just—he was pretty much offended by what he received, but he brought it to Lenin anyway, and Lenin was like, this is obscene, Yeah. but we want out of the war. So they did eventually Damn. agree to that, and they were done with World War I, you know? Peace. Accomplished. They did it. So, Check off the list. And at that point, they descend into the Russian Civil War. Oh, no. Yeah. The Bolsheviks took power mainly in Petrograd, Moscow area, and then not too far away from each other in terms of Russian geography, yeah. which is huge. They take power there, and the old czarist elements, the old supporters of, like, the provisional government, mm -hmm. supporters of, like, liberal bourgeois democracy, all these different factions, from all old monarchists to that, everyone who doesn't like the Bolsheviks taking power are now against the government. Okay. This is a big war. Yeah. And it's super complicated. <laughs> <laughs> okay everybody fights everybody fights uh to kind of color code it because historians do this um you know you got the red army mm -hmm. all right the bolshevik faction but you also have the white army oh all right these are the the old czarists the, the monarchists that okay. sort of thing and some to some extent the provisional government kind of team up with them that sort of thing uh you have the black army which referred to uh, kind of an anarchist group in Ukraine and that region. Mm -hmm. Historians kind of wrestle with what they were, if they were just bandits or if they were like actually a, <laughs> if it was like a warlord situation or if it was actually kind of a more autonomous commune. It'd be an oh. interesting episode to do at some point. Yeah. Looking at those guys because it's a completely different means. I'll add to the list. Yeah. Uh, but that's the Black Army. The Green Army, you had uh, you had these like peasant groups who were, and the peasant groups basically, they were kind of cool. They were just saying, no, fuck you guys. We're going to, we're hungry. governing ourselves over here. <laughs> Leave us alone. 
Okay. You have foreign armies, other just countries coming in. Just to fuck with it? Great, Mainly the Allies, uh, Great Britain, France. Wait, what States. were they doing there? Well, uh... Were they mad that they signed with Germany? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, they were mad that Russia dropped out of the war, gave Germany Damn. a bunch more land, and were worried that Germany was just going to, like, swoop troops into there, start up a new industrial base, and turn oh, on them. Oh, okay. So they were trying to secure that area uh, initially. And... One of their objectives was it would be nice if the Bolshevik government was overthrown. You know, okay. They wanted that to happen. Why? Because then they could put in like someone who, some monarchist or liberal government who would side with them. But the uh, Bolsheviks okay. definitely wouldn't side with them. No, yeah, because they didn't want to do war. Yeah. Uh, the Soviets later on kind of characterize this and say all the countries of the West invaded us and tried to overthrow our government because they didn't want the commun- you know, they didn't want there to be a communist government. And that's kind of what kind of what I assumed going into yeah, researching yeah. this a little bit. It was like, yeah, that sounds like something we would do. We're jerks. Totally. Okay. But it doesn't seem like that was really our goal. Uh, it does seem that uh, the Western countries were trying to protect against Germany doing something bad in this, you know, taking advantage of the situation. Okay. It does seem like they would have been happy. Yeah, uh, it would have been they, a nice side effect. Yeah, like, and you know, and it's not to say that they didn't do anything that would try to make that happen, but I don't think it was their main objective. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. The Civil War overall, so those are kind of like the big sides, and it's complicated troop movements, all this, blah. Yeah. Not gonna get did they call the themselves stuff. those colors? They're like, we're the Green Army. <laughs> the Red Army did. I don't think the other groups did. Okay, they just um, did that for Yeah, labeling. the White Army may have, but uh, I'm not certain on that. Okay. Uh, that's funny to me. At that point, you know, millions of people die in this conflict. There's, you know, bloody battles. And there's also things called uh, the terrors. Okay. Right. You have something called the red terror and something called the white terror. Okay. They both happen at the same time. And this just refers to the violent atrocities committed by each side. The red army and the Bolshevik factions uh, and the, the white army or the, or the monarchist factions. Both sides were fucking each other up. Okay. Not just on the battlefield, but yeah. each other's civilians. Pillaging and, and shit. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Uh, two million are killed in the fighting. Nine million die in uh, famine. Jesus. And a typhus epidemic. The, you know, just, you know, what do we need right now? We need some typhus, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just throw worse. it in there. It's really bloody. Yeah. And we don't want to say that either side was really any better in terms of the atrocity side. Yeah. Both sides. Here's a quote from Lenin. That's really, you know how we were looking at Karl Marx last time and saying, mm-hmm. damn, Karl, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, here's a here's one. It's not as problematic in terms of just judging people in that way, but it's very violent. I and, lay it on me. You know, you can argue like, well, he had to do what he had to do, but. He didn't have to do that. <laughs> this is pretty violent. He's writing a telegram to uh, his commanders in the, in the various fields of operation. He says, comrades, the insurrection of five Kulak districts. Kulaks refer to, side note here, he didn't write that part. Kulaks refer to, <laughs> By the way. Uh, <laughs> refer to like wealthier landowners, kind of, but they're okay. not like, like big farmers, lords. basically. Small scale farmers, yeah. Okay. Um, but people they, who. Maybe they own their own land or something. They own their own land. Okay. They own their own land. They do not want to give their land up. They do not want to take part in the Bolshevik government because they think they're coming for their land, that sort of okay. thing. Okay. In, the insurrection of five Kulak districts should be pitilessly suppressed the interests of the whole revolution require this because the last decisive battle with the kulaks is now underway everywhere 
an example must be demonstrated. And then he numbers the next part. He says, basically, do these things. Yeah. Number one, hang. Absolutely hang in full view of the people. No fewer than 100 known kulaks, filthy rich men, bloodsuckers. Fuck. Two, publish their names. Three, seize all grain from them. Four, designate hostages in accordance with yesterday's telegram. Wow. Concludes with, do it in such a fashion that for hundreds of miles around, the people will see, tremble, no shout. Strangling is done and will continue for the blood-sucking kulaks. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. He says, telegraph the receipt and the implementation. Yours, Lennon. <laughs> Bye. P.S. Use your toughest people for this. Jesus. Okay, he had no chill. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's emblematic of the Red Terror there. Again, there's also something called the White Terror, where the, you know, the monarchists were doing this sort of thing where they had control. Yeah. Both sides were willing to terrorize no. the population. The bad people on both sides. Stop. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think in this case, there were bad actions taken by both sides in the pursuit of keeping their side under control or their territory, you know. Yeah. Putting down spies, saboteurs, all that. Real or imagined. Damn. Very bloody. So when you, when you argue with the people who are like, communism killed millions, they're getting some of their millions from this. Um, they're also getting some of their millions from famine and from typhus. Yeah. <laughs> so unless you think that these guys were also operating a biological weapons lab. No, never know. <laughs> Who can say? Eventually, the Bolsheviks win the Russian Civil War. Okay. They are able to crush the various groups and get the foreign countries to get the hell out. Eventually, they're able to declare, instead of being the Russian Soviet, they, they come up with a more complicated name, the Russian Soviet Federal, Federative Socialist Republic. That's a bad name. It's not a great one. So they got to work on their branding. By that point, they change it to the Soviet Union. There uh, you instead go. Instead of just Russia, Catchier. they have all the. They have you know Ukraine. They have Mongolia. They have all these other satellite countries that are they're technically their own oh. Soviet republic. Uh-huh. And this is the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the oh, USSR, okay. right? The Soviet Union. I didn't know that included multiple countries. Technically, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be a lot more federal, a lot more like each yeah. country does its own thing. But uh, eventually it is very, very centralized. Yeah. So okay. You do your own thing, but you don't. <laughs> you actually just take orders. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. Okay. So very complicated History very quickly glossed over. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that was good, though. I, I got a good sense of what's going on. Were you interested also in, you know, what the Soviet Union... Yeah, yeah. What'd they do? Was it bad? What did they do and was it bad? <laughs> they have different eras okay. of leadership. You know, you start with Lenin. Uh, eventually, you they're led by Stalin. Okay. The Soviet Union definitely struggled when it started. Obviously, as you can see in the re- revolution there, they... <laughs> That was that was rough. <laughs> that, was, that was difficult. Yeah, it's a rough first day on the job. <laughs> and they didn't always make uh, nice decisions, as we saw. No. They continue to deal with famines. They continue to deal with industrial output shortages. Okay. They're, they're operating at something like 13% of their previous of the capacity Jesus. they had before when the czar was in why, charge. Why was that? Uh, so many, so much of the infrastructure and stuff had been destroyed. Oh, uh, also a lot of people died. A lot of people died. Chaos in general. So it was rough trying to get back on their feet. Throughout its history, the Soviet Union got, I would say, made a a ton of mistakes. Okay. Uh, And one thing that I don't think it's very useful for leftists or communists or socialists to try to do uh, is to spend a lot of energy defending everything that the Soviet Union did. 
Yeah. Um, or saying that that's definitely a model for what future socialist or communist uh, movements want to make happen in other countries. Okay, cool. Because, I mean, it did a lot of things well. It raised literacy rates. Yeah, that's something I want a future episode on because that's something I studied like in design history Mm -hmm. was how they had to like teach a completely illiterate population how to read very quickly. And they did a lot of that through like poster design and stuff like that. Oh, man, I love their propaganda posters, dude. Those are... <laughs> yeah, no, they had like some Those are cool. hot design. Yeah, okay. I didn't know they were... Tra- that's that's awesome. Yeah, I can see how that would work. That's Because v- they're very stylized. They're just like, mm-hmm. you, like you get it. I get you it. You get Not the meaning. Russian. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that was their whole thing was like they used all these like gestalt tricks basically to get people to understand the meaning of things like they needed to tell workers who like were illiterate like hey don't touch this it's hot or whatever you know like stuff Mm -hmm. like that and they did that mostly through design which is really cool awesome yeah uh literacy rates uh child care oh yeah i've heard about this trying to liberate women from the from the need to have to be the ones you know doing unpaid labor and and raising your your children and homemaking and all that uh, especially in the earlier days, before Stalin takes the realm, he's kind of backward on all this by the time he's in power. But before that, there was a big push for women's, you know, equality. Cool. Yeah, Stalin's a really big problem in <laughs> just <laughs> not the so Soviets. Great. Like he's shitty, and okay. people who say Stalin did nothing wrong are wrong. Um, oh yeah, I think so. Those are what we call tankies. Not good. <laughs> don't do that. Okay, I'm googling Stalin to see what he looks like. I don't remember. He has a caterpillar mustache. Oh, that one. Okay, yeah. yeah. Kind okay. of a large nose, caterpillar mustache, mm-hmm. bushy eyebrows. The big, the pompadour. Yeah. He was hot when he was young. He was. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He's, uh, I used to use that in my world history class, introducing, we're talking about the <laughs> Russian Revolution show. This guy's like, who's that guy? That guy's like an actor or something. Who's this guy? <laughs> I'm like, no, that's, and then the next slide, Stalin. Joseph Stalin. Like, Ooh. <laughs> Like that's it's great. opposite of a glow up, I guess. Yeah, yeah, a glow down. Yeah, Stalin was shitty. Um, I don't <laughs> think leftists really do themselves a favor if they're like, "Oh no, Stalin, not so bad." Uh, I mean, he did help kick some Nazi ass, which is good, you know. Yeah, I'm he into was that. Instrumental in defeating the Nazis, which is awesome. The Red Army really helped win that. That's one of their major accomplishments. Is you know winning World War Two. Yeah, they like did it. They did the work. Yeah, R- raising living standards for people. People like to nowadays say. Man, look at those horrible, those horrible concrete boxes, huge brutalist apartment blocks and stuff that blight the landscape of that, you know, like Mm -hmm. these big, terrible housing units that they have. But I mean, that was providing houses for people. (laughs) People still live in those today and are like glad that they have houses. And yeah, yeah, it was a social provision of something that, you know, in America oftentimes is is done. I mean, it's done the same way. Like if we do public housing or something, we try to put it up as cheaply as possible. Yeah, for sure possible you know and even then we still have so many more homeless in the streets like i don't think that's a unique criticism of them Uh, so i think they did have some major accomplishments i think that the soviet union however did not stick stay true to its initial promise of workers being in charge of their government yeah that's what i want to ask is like is was that actually communism what they were doing no Okay. And they so they knew it wasn't communism for sure. What did they say it was? Uh, well, so they were trying to implement socialism. Okay. Uh, so and they're initially in their constitution. They actually state their goals as being in line with the communist manifesto. Yeah, I, that was another question I had. Was like, did Lenin read Marx, and what was his feelings on it? 
Uh, he did read Marx. He His whole notion with the Bolshevik party, it was kind of like a change from what Marx was doing without trying to refute it. So he said, there's no way that Russia is just going to figure this out and, and get a united proletarian class quickly. Uh-huh. Uh, you got to have a vanguard party. You got to have a small group of people dedicated to just doing this revolution shit um, to get them stirred up. Yeah. To make the revolution happen. That was kind of one of his major changes to it. But no, there here's, here's that thing the, the Russian constitution in 1918, their new thing uh, put in there specifically in article 18 uh, declaring labor to be the duty of all citizens of the Republic from each, according to their ability to each, according to their contribution, you know, that okay. middle stage. Yeah. Yeah. They were the ultimate aims of the state were outlined as the abolition of the exploitation of people by people. Uh, so just talking about like, wage slavery and stuff yeah. like that they were explicitly trying to be socialist okay remember our we're... ideas that are what we were talking about marx's ideas that the state should eventually fall, fall away and in, initially you should have the workers be in charge of the state doing things to end capitalism and end the class distinctions so that eventually you don't need any of that yeah so they didn't do that part <laughs> right the soviets did take power in take charge of a government but they did not use the government effectively to eliminate class antagonisms because you still had social classes okay Uh, they didn't do enough to eliminate despite the red terror and all that they didn't get rid of the bourgeoisie you know you still had people you still had class distinctions in their case you had kind of a party elite you had like a bureaucracy okay people working for the government having way more privileges, being richer than other people. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely based like on that. the message that I've gotten about it is that it was like very corrupt or whatever. Yeah, um, it was. And, and <laughs> government officials had just, just had so much more than, than regular people. And in a government like that, you would think that that would not be the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the antithesis of what they should be going for. Yeah, for sure. I don't think that they did enough to make government uh, accountable to or, or act- literally in control of the workers. I think that they Yeah, that's that's what it seems like it's not really a truly worker-led government. It's just a it's just a government. <laughs> yeah, there's and this is some, a criticism that's leveled at Marxist-Leninists. This is just people who follow Lenin's ideas of what Marxism should be. Uh, and there's an idea of of theirs called Democratic centralism. Uh, democratic centralism is is something that's supposed to govern a communist party or a communist, you know, a when you're dealing with you and your communist buddies and you're trying uh-huh. to decide what you're going to do as a political party or as a as a group. Okay. Democratic centralism says you're free to express yourselves freely with each other, like call somebody yeah. a fucker, tell them their ideas, <laughs> bullshit, whatever, right? Yeah. And really be passionate about it. Yeah. And then y'all decide what you're going to, you know, you vote on what you're going to do. And once you've decided that, shut your mouth and do it. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, once you've decided, if you lose the vote, hey, man, you lost yeah, the vote. That's what we decided to do. Devote yourself to doing this. Yeah. All right. And in theory, I think that's that's kind of a good idea to operate a close, you know, to operate what they were doing. Because you got to understand, what did we just describe? They were an underground movement, a criminal movement. Yeah, uh, you know they were they were operating with, with the czar, uh, trying to throw them in jail, trying to execute them. Yeah, and even when they got in power, they're in a fucking war. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, this yeah. is shaped by someone whose Lenin's brother was executed by the Tsar for revolutionary activity Oof. when he was a teenager. Um, like he, this is formative for him that hey, you got to keep things tight, close. Mm-hmm. Everybody's after you, you know. Um, okay, so as a result of being so like kind of secretive and and very tight knit, once they got in power, they're like, we're not going <laughs> to stop doing they were, that. They were secretive and tight knit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Especially early on in their uh, activities, uh, they were funded by criminal activity. Stalin <laughs> and he, he Stalin had a, an outfit, uh, some people that he ran with basically as a criminal organization. He had like a bank robbers group. What they would the go literally rob banks and rob uh, imperial stagecoaches that were transporting money between banks. They would rob those and use That's that money hilarious. to to, uh, to fund the party. Lenin at some point was like, "Hey guys, stop robbing banks and stuff," and. Stalin was like, okay, but he would still give him money and just not ask questions. You know? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> um, That's kind of. Yeah. Funny. Like, so I guess what I mean is applying that idea of democratic centralism to a big to country nationwide is not conducive to democracy. Okay. Yeah. Cause then it's like, you can't question and you can't. Yeah. There's not a dis- and when dissent gets characterized as counter-revolutionary activities and gets you thrown in jail. Yeah. Okay. So that sounds like that's the main problem because that's that's seems to be one of the main bad things that happen to people. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of a liberal notion, maybe, and and maybe that's where we're coming from is from an American bourgeois democratic background saying like, oh, people should have free speech and <laughs> these sorts of things. I don't know. I I guess they should. I think they should. Yeah, I think they should. I think a government should be trying to do a good enough job to where they're not so worried that people are criticizing them. Yeah, know? exactly. Because someone's always going to criticize you. And, and and if you're doing a good enough job, that's not going to lead to you getting your ass thrown out. You know? Yeah, hopefully there are enough people who aren't criticizing you. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you are doing that bad of a job, maybe they should throw you out. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think that they could have used some more dissent. <laughs> yeah, we've already discussed this as a future episode idea, but I'd love to do just like the the myths of the Soviet Union, because I yeah. think that's something we're fed a lot. It's like, what was it actually like to live there? Stuff like that. Right. And there are different periods, too, because for people growing up in like the 50s and 60s, things were way more open compared yeah. to what they were in Stalin's era. So when we think of, oh, the Soviet Union, one big gulag, everybody's just toiling away and constantly. Exactly. It's 1984, but all over the place, you know. Uh no, you know, that was maybe during the Stalin era and that was bad. Stalin was purging people and <laughs> killing people and everything was bad then. Not to say people didn't get arrested for political reasons in er- other eras, but it wasn't so. It wasn't so extreme. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's helpful in this framing. That's a little bit about the Soviet Union. The big piece of advice I would give you as far as when people say, oh, Russia, you know, it didn't work is A, we don't have to defend everything the Soviet Union does, but also B, <laughs> The Soviet Union was, and, and any state like it, any state that tries to really put you know, workers in charge, really overthrow capitalists, that sort of thing, that gets revolutionary with it, uh, they face resistance from other countries. Oh, you know? When yeah. we talk about how bad things are in Cuba, we've got a huge <laughs> embargo in Cuba. Yeah. It's, it's not like we didn't help make it bad. Yeah, we bully other countries into participating in that. Uh, when we talk about the same thing with Venezuela, okay? Well, hey, man, you know, what are we doing to them? Yeah. A- a- any of these countries that we that you look at and say, why are things so bad there? One of the big reasons is the world is arrayed against them. It doesn't forgive what they do necessarily. I mean, mm-hmm. North Korea, 
you know? Yeah, not good. I mean, any communist, quote unquote, state uh, that is that is trying to do these things, they're, they're facing big time resistance from people. Yeah, so. yeah. That makes sense. And like, I don't know, like in Nicaragua and stuff, like we, we fucking stopped that. Like, mm-hmm. again, I learned all my history from television. That one's from the Americans. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. That was that was really well done, that, uh, that whole... Yeah, that's a that's a good series. Carrie Russell's so pretty. Oh, I love it. Yeah, series. I was meaning that story arc, but yeah, that series is great. Yeah. All right. Okay. I think that kind of addresses. No, I think it does. Topic. I have a good I have a good grasp of what happened. All right. You want to talk about organization corner? I do, and I'm excited about this one because we get to use a listener question. Um, Lily wrote into us um, and. Uh, asked, what exactly is a wildcat strike? Is there no limit to the different kinds of strikes or just two or three? I've been hearing this phrase more often recently and would love to know more. So thank you, Lily, for writing in. First of all, that made our day. Yeah, for real. And I would like to say I had never heard of a wildcat strike, but I think it sounds cool. So, Grady, what, what's a wildcat strike? <laughs> well, I guess the coolest version would be if you animorph style into wildcats <laughs> and then <laughs> took on your bosses. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be neat. And the second coolest is if, like, you worked at a circus, maybe you set the wildcats free and they Ooh, took over. yes. But no, a wildcat strike, uh, in reality, uh, refers to an unauthorized strike, all right? Unauthorized. Unauthorized strike, yeah. Okay. Um, typically, uh, if you are already a member of a union, uh, strikes are planned by union leadership. Uh, a union will hold a vote and say... Hey, do we think we need to go on strike? You know, our contract just went up and they're not negotiating a good contract for our next time. You know, should we, for the next time period, should we go on strike? Union yeah. membership and leadership will vote. You agree to it. They'll yeah. agree to go on strike or they'll be like, no, nah, let's not go on strike. Um, so basically anytime there's not formal authorization by the union of a strike, it's called a wildcat strike. Does it also count as one is if you don't have a union? If you don't have a union also, it's it's count, it's counted as a wildcat strike. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I did some reading on strikes because you sent me some stuff as yeah. homework. And um, yeah, so I kind of want to talk about like just, we talked about striking a lot in this episode already with Russia, but mm-hmm. um, I had some questions, I guess. Like I didn't realize there were so many <laughs> rules around striking and it seems very fucked up. Um Okay, I want you to break down this rule. Let me pull up that Wikipedia page again. Um, for While I'm doing that, give the general definition of striking for me. Okay, yeah. So a strike is when, um, just to pan back a little from what a wildcat strike is, what a strike is is when workers en masse refuse to work. Or mass refusal of employees either at a particular workplace, a particular company, or a particular industry refuse to work, thereby denying their employers profit because the employers even if they don't pay them they're not getting that excess that excess labor that they're not paying for so they're not making profit Um, the idea being that if you shut uh, if you shut that down if you choke off their profit uh, eventually the employers will have to come to the table and give in to certain demands give in to higher wages better working conditions ending unsafe practices uh, or discrimination or whatever it is that you're demanding uh, you're basically taking your taking your workplace hostage taking your boss hostage basically and extracting demands from them 
Cool. I found my question. <laughs> right. I, this sentence appeared a few times in this. I mean, full disclosure, this is the Wikipedia article for strike action. Wikipedia, but, great resource, by the way. Use it. Yes. Don't tell your teachers, but use it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sourced if it's a well-written article. All right. So this appeared a few times, and I, I don't fucking understand it. Striking for economic reasons, like protesting workplace conditions or supporting a union's bargaining demands, allows an employer to hire permanent replacements. The replacement worker can continue in the job, and then the striking worker must wait for a vacancy. But if the strike is due to unfair labor practices, the strikers replace can demand immediate reinstatement when the strike ends. So if I'm understanding this correctly, it's like, okay, you're striking because the factory is unsafe or something then you can get your job back. But if it's because you want more money, then you don't necessarily get your job back. Because it also says like permanent replacements, like as far as I'm concerned, that's the same thing as getting fired. If someone said, hey, you've been permanently replaced, like that's not a good thing. It seems like a bullshit legal definition. I think that you're that you're right in the interpretation here. So, okay, yeah, there's a couple different caveats, I guess, right? Uh, according to this, you have the right to strike for all these reasons, better wages, better, you know, more benefits, better or safer working conditions. You can't be fired. Now, if the thing that you choose to strike about is, you know, and choose to strike about is kind of loaded language (laughs) in itself. But, um, if you're striking for economic reasons, higher wages, benefits, that sort of thing, um, then yeah. The permanent replacement. I mean, yeah, you're right. You don't get fired. You technically, you know, yeah. still, but they can continue in the job and you must wait for a vacancy. Uh, this bullshit. could mean that like, I don't know, depending on the pay structure, like you might still get paid some sort of a wage, mm. you know, you'd be on the payroll. Uh, but the reason that they're allowing the employer to hire a permanent replacement is that the worker, the employer rather can still make a profit that's so shitty they do get kind of give you the the handout that hey if it's due to you know unfair unsafe unfair labor practices something really considered bad rather than just classic old wage theft yeah Um, but like that's so bad (laughs) like of course i shouldn't work somewhere that's not safe like i don't i shouldn't have to strike for that right yeah and then you know once once the strike's over then you get your job back you know neat yeah this is the National Labor Relations Board uh, or the National Labor Relations Act that set that up is a vast improvement to what it was. Okay. Uh, and could theoretically be used to advance workers' interests. Yeah. The problem with this, just like the problem with any sort of liberal reform, uh, is that because, I mean, this was passed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Like, this is a, in terms of American politics, kind of a <laughs> left leading uh, uh, act. The problem is, of course, it's implemented by the government. Mm-hmm. and a government that is not particularly democratically responsive to the people, you know, and yeah. to, to workers' interests. So when they're running it, who are they running it for? Marx says that the modern executive is, you know, just kind of an appendage of the of the capitalist class. Exactly, yeah. So whenever they negotiate, not negotiate, whenever they determine what exactly is unfair labor practices, they're going to do it in a way that benefits, like, they're fucking donors. <laughs> yeah. And unfair labor practices don't include paying your workers too little for the for the work that, they're, you know, that they're doing. As long as you're paying them starvation wages, you're still fine, you know? Jeez. So it's a, it's a very narrow definition. 
of how can you do wrong to your workers? Yeah. Yeah. That's bad. That is, yeah. <laughs> I would love to do, I'd love to dive into like U.S. labor law, like, and how, how it, just from this cursory look does not seem to help workers. It does not. It can. It has the potential to. And it does prevent some of the harsher, some of the harsher forms of mistreatment that could go on. Yeah. It does. It does get okay. in the way of that. Because, I mean, you, you got to imagine, without this, I mean, what would they do? You I know? mean, child labor. <laughs> without even this in the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, things could be a lot worse, and they have been a lot worse. Yeah. But it's, I think, most people, uh, most leftists especially, would agree that it's not enough. Yeah, yeah. So back to the organization corner, we also wanted to cover um, how to support a strike um, and how to help workers win. Yeah. And I thought this tied in pretty well with Lily's question about the about wildcat strikes because wildcat strikes any sort of unauthorized strikes for most unions in the united states that includes what's called a sympathy strike nothing's going wrong at your workplace but some other company you deal with their workers are on strike and you go on strike in sympathy with them you know that would yeah. a form of a wildcat strike because it's not authorized that's one way that you know workers can help each other out showing solidarity with that but i found an interesting article had a lot of ways that people in general, not just workers in a workplace, but people can support workers who are on strike. It's by Chamtali Hook, um, who is a professor of labor law at a public university in New York. So, yeah. Awesome. Knows yeah, what she's uh, talking about. I thought this was a great article because it talked about ways that people can help. A lot of us are not, I'm not in a uh, unionized workplace. You know, a lot of people in right to work states aren't, don't mm-hmm. have unions, uh, but this is, I think, an easy way for someone to support people who are taking actions to, you know, to help themselves, help the, help the cause of, of labor and of workers in general. Cool. Uh, so let's dive into these. Um, again, you can find this article at lawatthemargins.com. Um, but yeah, we're just going to kind of go through them because I think, I think they're helpful. Um, the first one is share information. This is definitely something that I try to do. So that can be something as simple as sharing it on social media, but you mm-hmm. can also like talk to your friends about it and tell them like why people are striking and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, and that's good, especially in anything that is public facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when teachers go on strike in Chicago, people will say, Oh, those poor kids, you know, when uh, public transit workers go on strike, they'll say, Oh man, I can't get anywhere. You know, you really have to work with those situations and to, con- to show people, Hey, yeah, man, I know this is inconvenient, but these people deserve to make, you know, to have dignity at work and, and make enough money and all this. Exactly. Whereas, you know, if it's a factory and it's, it's not necessarily inconveniencing people, you don't have to, you know, struggle so hard to get people <laughs> to realize yeah. it's good. Or like with the, the recent Amazon and Instacart one, just seeing like, hey, don't, don't shop there just for like a day. It's not that hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Number two is honk. If you actually pass a physical picket line, you can kind of show support. Yeah, if you're driving, if you're just walking by, you can wave, give them thumbs up, whatever. Kind of leads into number three as well. Uh, walking with the workers. You know, yeah. if, you, if you're out there and you see people fighting for their rights, join them, man. Yeah, for sure. You don't have to be out there all day like they do. And you can just, you know, express that you, uh, that you're with them and express to other people that this is a sizable movement and people uh, support it, you know. Yeah, that's one thing I'm like mourning with the coronavirus is that like I don't know how to how to protest. Not that I, like I did a bunch of protesting before. I would like to do more, but now it's like, well, shit. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. 
Um, the next one is about music, which I want you to cover because you know a lot about labor music. And I think that's going to be a future episode too. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's old songs that are, uh, I guess people don't make as many labor songs nowadays. But one of the great things about the labor movement in the turn of the century uh, was that they were great at stealing songs. Like they would just <laughs> steal popular songs of the day, which were, which were mostly hymns, um, uh-huh. like actual church hymns and stuff. That's why in the old times they would call them the union hymns because they just oh. took those songs and rewrote the That's lyrics hilarious. for union stuff. So as uh, if people, especially people with more of a Protestant upbringing, a lot of these are old Protestant hymns and things that are converted into union song it's kind of cool um but th- there's there's pro labor music and stuff that are more modern as well nice um the next one is signing their petition and p- pledging your support and uh the one after that i kind of already mentioned is social media um so yeah just follow them and all that good stuff yeah um and signing a petitions are you know a really easy step to do add your name to this list sort of thing people do that by email now too yeah the social media it's it's kind of like earlier where it said share information it's just a way to signal boost sort of um this next one that would be really powerful if you could do that uh, providing child or elder care like that's huge like these people are taking time off work like yeah to go strike they're not taking time off work to go home and take care of their kids so yeah helping mm-hmm. with that would be great you uh, more established unions have uh have these sorts of things set up like they have provisions and stuff already for that um, I know that in the teacher strikes in West Virginia that happened, you know, maybe last year, I think it was a year before or so. something like that. They kind of had to set this stuff up at a, at a grassroots community level, like from scratch, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the community was able to kind of come together and help with that. Uh, and it kind of ties into the next one, bringing food, um, bringing snacks, bringing, uh, donating groceries, looking out for people who are striking when uh, an organized union goes into a strike, they do have a strike fund and workers do take home a portion of what their pay would normally be. It's only a portion. It's not, yeah, as, exactly. You know, it's not what they would normally be making. And if they're a lot of striking for higher wages, that that's going to be not much then. <laughs> yeah. A portion yeah, so. of not enough is not enough. So that can definitely help. And the last thing on their fundraising that can also kind of help with this, help keep the strikes going. The big contest between in, in a strike and the reason strikes either succeed or not is based on uh, who runs out of resources first, you know? Yeah, uh, The capitalist sure. has to make sure they ha- keep enough profits to keep either themselves in business or their stockholders happy. They have to keep the public from turning on them and keep the PR going, you know, make it look like they're not evil <laughs> McGee twirling his mustache. They they have to keep those things going and not be too big of a burden on the overall economy to have like the government step in and take over or something. Yeah. On the worker side, they have to have enough money to survive um, and the willpower to stay out there and the the solidarity needed to where you don't have, you know, strike breakers or scabs coming in and taking their jobs and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they have to have the public support too. You know, if pub- if the public turns on them and says those lazy workers need to get back to work, it's good, you know, no way. Yeah. Um, the last one is a don't, which is don't cross a picket line. Don't do that. That's bad. Never cross a picket line. If you've done it at some point in your life before this, unknowingly, all is forgiven. But yeah. <laughs> in the future. <laughs> we were raised Catholic. You, you got a freebie. <laughs> 
yeah, um, go forth, you're fine, but <laughs> do not ever do it again. Uh, and to those of you who have never done it, great job. Continue that streak until your last day. Never cross the picket line. It's the worst thing you can do uh, to workers. It, I thought this was a great way to characterize it. Uh, it's demoralizing to see people walk past you as you are on the street fighting for basic benefits to be treated with, you know, and to be treated with respect. Like you don't want to be out there and saying, I deserve enough to li- a wage that's good enough to live on. Mm-hmm. And people like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to, yeah. the, <laughs> to the store. Like, yeah, that would suck. Don't do that. You know, stand with the workers. Don't show the bosses that, that you care more about their conveniences than their workers. Like, exactly. Do yeah. All right, cool. Well, hopefully that answered your question, Lily. Um, I would also like to add that if anyone has a question, please email us at teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Um, we would love to do a Q&A episode in the future. So um, and we're going to try to start stockpiling those. So um, yeah, uh, send those in. All right, cool. I think we wrapped that up uh, pretty well. What do you want to learn about next time? Um, I want to learn about an issue that I think people are asking themselves a lot lately. Um, Mm -hmm. What with rent being due and a lot of people out of work, which is why are landlords bad? Okay. I love that. Why are landlords bad? A shorter episode will be, you know, what's good about landlords? (laughs) Yeah. Right. But yeah, well, we can get into that. That's wonderful. Okay. The question of landlords, can I be a landlord? Yeah. Um, What if I'm subletting my, you know, yeah. Okay. There's, Yep, let's do it. Property. It's a lot to cover. Property. All right. Got it. Yeah, as always, uh, follow us on social. We are on Instagram at Teach Me Communism. Twitter is Teach Communism. Um, I already mentioned the Gmail, but yeah, send in those questions. They mm-hmm. make us happy. And we'll answer them. Yeah, we will answer them, as you can see, um, or hear. Oh, yeah, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or I guess wherever. I don't know if you can do reviews on other ones, but that's the big one because it makes us feel good. Um, it does. We love them. <laughs> We yeah, print them I, off, we frame them, hang them on our walls. I cherish them. I sleep with them under my pillow. So yeah, uh, thank you for teaching me communism this week, Grady. All right. Yeah, anytime. And guys, tune in for the next episode next week of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. All right. All right.